Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now that you've found UBN Radio and discovered our quality talk shows, it's time to spread the word to friends, family, and the universe. 24 hours of music and talk. Radio without limits. That's why people keep coming back for more. That's UBNRadio.com. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to the Larry Yates As Is program. We are so excited to have today's show. It is going to knock your socks off, and I'm just delighted this morning. Everything is good. Everything is well. And, of course, this is Reverend Carolyn Wilkins, our dear, phenomenal Larry Yates is on the road again, and uh, we always wave to him and do a shout-out when we know that he's traveling and on the road. And I have a feeling that he's not going to have the weather that we're having in sunny California. So I'm going to send my um, just my greatest thoughts to him because... Whatever the weather is, it's not the 70 and 80 degrees that we're experiencing right now. And I I don't always try to boast about that. But just so you know, he's on the east side of the Rockies. So there's lots of weather going on in that part of the country. And in fact, it's really part of the news. Uh, so I'd like to just say welcome to all of those who are who are around the world, who are calling in, and also say my blessings, really, to those of you who are experiencing different weather patterns. We know that there have been lots of tornadoes, actually, and um, very bad storms of rain and snow that are occurring at a late time in the year. So people aren't necessarily prepared for all of this. And also in the news have been airplanes crashing, uh, trains running into buses, and it just feels like everything is turned topsy-turvy. I know that isn't the truth because most of what we do every day is really okay. But if you look at the news and track the news, and I actually enjoy the news, However, there's so much news that makes us a little nuts these days from the um, input and the accusations from the White House that are always very bizarre, uh, that make us go, hmm, 
where did he get that from? Or, my, 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 what's he going to do with this now? I'm fascinated and stay really in an attentive mode around what's going on politically. But I also know that we're in a wonderful time of expansion and stepping up to a higher space of our own contribution in the political arena. I'm going to introduce my guest shortly, but we have an amazing guest today. Her name is Regina Smith. She has a longer title, which I'm going to share with you in a moment. But can we say, give a shout out to Regina, and then I'm going to come back and tell you a little bit more about her. Jarvis. Okay. Well, I'll just do. Yay, she's here. <laughs> you don't have the shout shout out. I say that every time I come. Can we do a shout out? Okay. So anyway, we're we're here and we're starting. And the show is going to go quickly today. Uh, We're going to talk about some things that are in the news. We're going to talk about some people. But most of all, we're going to focus on the experience and the lifetime of this amazing guest. I said Regina Smith, but her whole title is Retired Lieutenant Police of the Police Department in Dallas, Texas. And as you can see, those of you who are watching, this is a beautiful black woman who is sitting before me. And I don't think of, if I were to see her shopping or see her riding in a car, I just would not assume that she might be a police officer. But that really made me think about my own idea of who a police officer is because I know they come in all shapes, sizes, and male and female. So I hope that our discussion today is going to awaken you to a new idea about the heart, the soul, the intention, and the excellence of who is in our police force. So welcome Lieutenant. And would you please share with the audience where you grew up and what inspired you to become a police officer? Good afternoon, Dr. Wilkins, and thank you in advance for having me here. It's my honor to be here on your show in beautiful Southern California. Yes. But, yes, ma'am, I grew up in a little small town in Texas called Brownwood, Texas. I was born in California, northern California, Mm -hmm. but I was raised in a little small town called Brownwood, Texas. Is that near any city that the rest of us might know? Well, you may know where Abilene, Texas is, but it's central Mm -hmm. west Texas. Okay. Thank you. And... Did you grow up in a family of lots of children, or were you 
uh, by yourself? No, I had uh, a fa- it's five siblings, including mm-hmm. myself. I have three older brothers and one younger sister. Mm-hmm. So we had a house full. <laughs> yes. And what what inspired you to become a police officer? Was there a police officer around you or was there did your brothers get involved or what happened? Tell me. Well, not wanting to really tell my age, but in uh, <laughs> in 1988, mm-hmm. uh, in the city of Dallas, uh, we had what you called affirmative action that mm-hmm. was in play at that time. And there was a call out for minority officers. Mm-hmm. They were seeking minority officers in the community of Dallas because we were having uh, some racial issues uh, at that time mm-hmm. that were, you know, brewing. And I said to myself... Uh, I think that I can do this job. I think that I have what it takes because I want to help people Mm -hmm. and I want to help all people. So I felt like being a black female uh, that I could be instrumental in some way if God was guiding me uh, to be a benefit to my community and to the whole community Mm -hmm. of Dallas, to the city of Dallas. Oh, wonderful. And were you in college at the time? No, ma'am. In high school? I had already graduated from Uh college. Oh, Uh, wonderful. My degree is in fashion merchandising, not criminal justice. (laughs) See, I'm telling you, she's dressed to the hilt here and very colorful and beautiful and so I would be in, so that's why I would be thrown off because, yes. so your your background and your interests yes. was in fashion. Yes. And what were you thinking about being when you went to college? Well, I wanted to own my own uh, store and mm-hmm. design my own clothing line. And that's why I went to college there in Arlington, Texas, and, and got a degree in fashion merchandising. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But... Of course, my plans changed after I married and had my daughter mm-hmm. uh, with my first husband. Uh, it uh, ended in divorce, so I was raising a single, I was a single parent mm-hmm. uh, when I joined the Dallas Police Department. And uh, to be uh, quite honest, I had been employed uh, uh but I also wanted a change of employment to where I could really provide for my daughter. Yes. So I felt like, you know, that this would be a call to improve upon uh, my resume as a police officer. Well, that is a phenomenal story. And so your first job, what was your first job in the police department? Were you behind doors or were you on the road. Well, your first job in Mm -hmm. any uh, police department is the police academy. Yes. You Mm -hmm. have to go through rigorous training. They show no favoritism. Just because you're a female, Mm -hmm. you have to do the same rigorous exercising and physical training as the men. Mm -hmm. And that was one of my biggest challenges. Yes. Uh, I have family members who've gone through the academy. Mm -hmm. And uh, that one female who's gone through the academy and uh, they said the same thing. Mm-hmm. There was no favoritism given, right. no um, had to do. I, I think the only difference was the number of push-ups and pull-ups for the final exam or something mm-hmm. like that. But, <laughs> um, but they still had to do a tremendous number. Yes. Of physical exercise. And how were you on the shooting range? Well, I wasn't that great. 
Uh-huh. And it wasn't my favorite thing to do. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, when you go through the police academy, uh, you really find out your strengths. You find out what your weaknesses are mm-hmm. and your strengths. You really find out what you're truly made of. Yes. And although uh, I wasn't the best shooter, uh, I passed. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I knew that it was a condition of employment, so I better pass in yes. order to keep my job. And we had to qualify uh, annually there on the Dallas Police Department. Mm-hmm. And it was always a challenge. It's not my favorite thing to do, but it has to be done, and I'm mm-hmm. the one that will deliver. Yes. And so after the academy, what was your first assignment? Well, after the uh, academy, I graduated and I went to Oak Cliff, Texas. Uh, It's the southern part of Dallas. Mm -hmm. It's one of the highest crime areas in Dallas. Uh, It's um, mainly minorities there, Mm -hmm. but it is diverse there, and it's even progressed through the years. But uh, it was a very high crime area. Mm -hmm. And so... What was your experience of being with the people? Did do you feel like you were able to connect with the people because you were a female mm-hmm. or just because of who you are? Well, yes, I did. I felt that I was connected with the community and the citizens that I served. And uh, all of them, I found that, you know, uh, my personality lend my lend me to be open to everyone, mm-hmm. not just females and not just certain uh, races. But I was able to communicate very well. Mm-hmm. But I found it very satisfying to be able to uh, see young black girls look up to me mm-hmm. and uh, I felt like I was giving them a very good example as a role model uh, and I tried to encourage the young black females everyone that I came in contact uh, whether it be in a community environment or even when I arrested them I treated everyone with dignity and mm-hmm. respect well that is a very interesting statement yes and I'm sure people would wonder, how can you treat someone with dignity who you're arresting? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I know I've watched clips Mm -hmm. of people being arrested, Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm hurt and Mm -hmm. and in pain for the way that Mm -hmm. they have been treated by kicking legs open Mm -hmm. and throwing people down and other things. Mm -hmm. And I know some of that is what you're taught, Mm -hmm. but can you share... What is it that you did that allowed you to say, I'm going to do this with dignity? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, each situation has to be examined closely, and you're paid to make quick decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in volatile situations sometimes, and sometimes you're not. You're able to assess calmly and, and act appropriately. But, yes, we rely upon the training that we were taught. Uh, but you also, Dr. Wilkins, you must, it's imperative that you use common sense. Yes. And you have to also have empathy and understanding mm-hmm. of the people that you're arresting. How would I feel if it was my brother being arrested? How would I feel if it was my my mother being arrested. How would I want them mm-hmm. to be treated? That is how I treated everyone. Uh, and I tried to be unbiased as well as fair. Well, I'm going to ask you what may be, well, you're not on the force anymore, mm-hmm. but I know there's a lifelong connection there. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious about 
what I hear is your heart was involved Mm -hmm. as well as your intellect Mm -hmm. in how you did the job. And you also saw people as humans. Yes. And you approach them from a place of uh, humanity, whether or not they were following the law or not. And do you think part of the challenge that that is seen in everyday uh, situations with police officers all over this country, and it's not the majority, I, I will say that it's a small minority that we wind up seeing in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. But do you believe that part of the challenge is the fact that many officers who may be white mm-hmm. do not see black young men and women as um, equal? Or what would you say uh, might be the problem? Well, I'd like to give a fair answer on mm-hmm. both sides. Yeah, and that's you what know. I'd like to have. Uh, first of all, I'd like to address uh, as uh, that I am deeply disturbed at some of the uh, the crimes that I've seen against innocent black men mm-hmm. uh, by police officers in the last couple of years, yes. uh, from Eric Garner to Michael Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, even I have questions about Sandra Bland. Mm-hmm. I'm very concerned about that. That happened in my state, in mm-hmm. Texas. And uh, these things are, are bothering. It bothers everyone. Mm-hmm. It bothers uh, police officers as well to see uh, something go awry and cost someone's life that cannot be changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have a deep concern about it and I can't answer thoroughly why, but all officers are taught to assess the circumstance Mm -hmm. clearly and you are, you know, whether they are stereotyping black men or or black women, uh, that will lead you down the wrong road Mm -hmm. and bad things happen when you stereotype or when you... uh, Sometimes they may have the bad motive in the first place, mm-hmm. and that needs uh, correction by the supervisors in charge when they are uh, seeing their officers out in the field. There needs to be on-the-spot corrections if they're not treating everyone fairly. Yes. Now, um, you actually went through the system and continued to be elevated and promoted, and you wound up being chief, didn't you? No. Not chief, but you were in a high position. What was your (laughs) highest position? I promoted through the ranks uh, to the rank of lieutenant of police. Okay. And uh, I what my highest capacity was I had the honor of serving uh, the chief of police, David Conkle. Mm-hmm. And I served him. I was his right hand. I was his administrative assistant for almost five years, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. after the death of my husband. Mm-hmm. So I uh, enjoyed working with him. He is a kind and very intelligent chief. And I enjoyed working for him because he had a broad perspective where he he respected everyone Mm -hmm. and he taught he that was his principle that he sent throughout the Dallas Police Department I was honored to work for him oh beautiful and uh you you just shared something that I know touched my heart when Mm -hmm. I have talked to you and looked at your background Mm -hmm. that your husband was also a police officer and wound up being killed in the line of duty. Can you share with us, I know this isn't an easy conversation, but can you share with us uh, how you met and how you 
um, dealt with being police officers together? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a, a very touching subject for mm-hmm. me, but every word that I tell you is true. Uh, how we met, I met him at jail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was bringing in a prostitute, and um, I brought the prostitute in handcuffed, and at that time, uh, she possibly had AIDS. And so I wanted to forewarn the jailer uh, when he would ha- when I transferred her to him mm-hmm. that she had AIDS. And when I looked, there was this brand-new, big, tall officer standing there, handsome mm-hmm. uh, jailer that I knew I hadn't seen before because I go to jail every day and I never seen him. And you him. were checking them out. Well, now listen, I'm not a flirt or anything I, well, like that. But I, I'm but, just saying, but. woman the woman, you know, a little bit of woman the woman. Oh, yeah. So, okay, we'll put that aside. He was All right. extremely <laughs> attractive, okay. but I, I didn't let on. But yes. uh, deep down inside, uh, this is true. I felt butterflies in my stomach when I saw him and I never had that feeling before Mm -hmm. and I stood back and I watched this man handle the prisoner after I told him and I knew he was new but he was so cool the way he was handling Mm -hmm. her with very professional so he wasn't like a rookie or a novice at it so I had I was checking him out from an angle Mm -hmm. but again it was those butterflies in my stomach Mm -hmm. that I felt and so from there, I went back to the police side and started doing my uh, paperwork on the on the female, on my arrestee. And all of a sudden, he came back over on our side. He's a county jailer, but yes. the police has their side where we do the paperwork. And mm-hmm. he came over there, which was really taboo. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but he was bald. Uh, he was six foot five, 300 pounds. Oh, and my so handsome, uh-huh. uh, beautiful eyes that were captivate, were mm-hmm. very captivating. But he came over there and he asked me, uh, could he have my phone number? And what I did, Dr. Wilkins, I pulled out a picture of my little girl. She Mm -hmm. was only eight at the time. I pulled out a picture of her, and I told him, I said, you see this picture right here? Mm -hmm. I said, if you uh, want my phone number, you have to understand that God comes first, Mm -hmm. then my daughter. And if you understand that, then, yes, you can have my phone number. Oh, powerful. So Apparently, he took the phone number. Yes, he did. The first time. And from uh-huh. that day forward, uh, we communicated, mm-hmm. and we were together every day until the day he died, really? 18 years later. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. What a powerful story. It's very true. It's very everything touching. I'm telling you, I've mm-hmm. told many times, mm-hmm. even during the court testimony of my husband's trial, were mm-hmm. his murderer. Yes. I told the same story because it's true about mm-hmm. the butterflies. And I just knew that God was telling me that this was my soulmate. That was the one. Yes. And um, on that day that you got that phone call, mm-hmm. what happened? Dr. Wilkins, it was a typical Tuesday, mm-hmm. a Tuesday evening. I got off work at 5 p.m., and he was scheduled to get off at 6. So I went on home expecting him to come home, and um, I got in my little recliner, and uh, as I usually do, and uh, 
I was talking to one of my fellow officer friends on the phone. We were talking about the day's events, catching up, when I received another phone call from another friend of mine that said, uh, you know, what's your husband's call number in the gang unit? And I told her what channel he was on, mm -hmm. and she goes, Some, something's going on over there. And I said, I got that funny feeling. Mm -hmm. I said, what, what is it, Robin? What is it? Her name was Robin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a bad feeling. And so I told my friend on the phone, uh, the other officer, I said, you know, something's going on with the gang unit. I need to hang up. So I hung up the phone, and I started trying to call my husband's phone number, and he didn't answer. Mm. And I tried again. I, I, you know, very uncomfortable feeling inside. I called again, no answer. So I got up out of my chair and walked to the kitchen with the cell phone in my hand, and I had a feeling of sheer dread. Now, did he normally answer? Yes, ma'am, okay, especially when I he thought. saw my phone number. Yes. He would pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. And so uh, by the time I got to the kitchen, I called it a third time. And when I hit the send, my phone fell out of my hand and hit the floor. And I said, he's gone. I knew in my heart something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. So everything went wrong as far as my notification, you know. And, uh, you know, there's protocol in place how it should have happened. Yes. And I forgive those who who didn't abide by it because it, it was a tragic time and it was shocking and not only that you know I was uh, the chief of police I was his right his uh, his administrative assistant mm -hmm. and they were probably scrambling trying to do everything right but I didn't get the right uh, phone call I received a phone call from another uh, female officer that worked in communications and she blurted out just remember he loved you oh my goodness Oh, I'm so sorry. And I know your heart is still grieving. Yes. That that moment, that presence in your life. Yes. But I also know that um, you are a powerful couple. Yes. And those 18 years did not go in vain. Thank you. That you both grew. You were brought together. Yes. And you became better because of each other. That's the truth. Yes. And I also know that he's um, available for you. How, Dr. Wilkins? Because that's just the way I know faith works. Yes. And how that, uh, at least my belief is that our presence is ongoing. Yes. So. Well, that I believe also. Mm -hmm. And so in that place of the whispering and other things that comes from your your tight and close connection, um, I know that there's this place that says, go on, keep stepping. Yes. Keep moving forward. Yes. And how is your daughter doing? Uh, my daughter, she had trouble with his death as well it mm -hmm. was uh the it was the most horrific thing that could have happened mm -hmm. to our family structure it was just she and I and him mm -hmm. and uh he was 
you know, he meant everything to both of us. Mm -hmm. And she was already here in Holly in uh, California, in Hollywood, mm -hmm. a, an aspiring actress. And it shook her whole world. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we've still not been the same since Norman left. And it's been eight years. Mm -hmm. And I find it, you know, so incredible that people think just because it's been eight years that you should be over it. Mm -hmm. And for those people, I'm... I feel so sorry for them because obviously they haven't had a love like I've shared with my husband. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take me a while. It's not that I'm stuck. I just I just remember him fondly and yes. I remember uh, what we had. And uh, to not have him in my life, to not be able to guide me or give me advice or mm -hmm. just to touch him, it's it's a it's a feeling that I really don't want anyone else to have, but I know there are many others out here suffering uh, from the loss of their loved ones as well. Yes. Well, you. It's so interesting. I was at a meeting earlier today with an interfaith group, mm -hmm. and one of the speakers actually talked about the way they counsel the young young men, mm -hmm. um, and he was talking about. Islam. And just without going into detail, because I do want him to be on this program also, but he said that he counsels the young men to take pride and respect women. Okay. And that in today's culture and today's way of being, you wind up looking for a playmate and not a soulmate. Mm. And a playmate is disposable. Oh. A playmate is someone that can come in your life and leave. But when you set your mind and your heart on having a soulmate, right? oh, boy, do things get different. Yes. Because you're committed, they're committed, and yes. then you have faith that brings it together and, and makes it gel even more. So I know a soulmate can never leave you. Yes. Never leaves. That's true. Yes. So um, I, I thank you for sharing that. I know it's mm -hmm. not an easy story mm -hmm. because it's right right there, just mm -hmm. right so close mm -hmm. to your heart. It feels like it just happened, really. Yes. And mm -hmm. I, I don't mind talking about it, mm -hmm. even though sometimes I almost cry when I speak of him. But it makes me feel like when I tell stories about how we met and some mm -hmm. of the experiences we had together, it makes me feel for just a brief fleeting moment that he's still with me. You yes. just get that feeling, just a little bit of joy that mm -hmm. from the memories that you had. And so I don't mind talking about him. And he was a very, he was had such a great character and uh, he had such an impact on not just my daughter and I he had an impact on the entire community mm -hmm. in Dallas uh, in the community he served which was a, a minority community mm -hmm. uh, community and they there was an outpour of love for him that I never even knew existed yes. he was out there really mm -hmm. you know uh, engaging himself in the community oh beautiful something you said that also caught my attention is um, that it was a shock when you found out that he uh, had been killed in the line of duty. Mm -hmm. And I often wonder when people are in dangerous mm -hmm. livelihoods, mm -hmm. because there's some people who are together in the service, um, services, um, I don't, 
I think you're the first couple that I know who's mm -hmm. been in the police mm -hmm. uh, force. And so I, I'm curious about, and I think our listeners may be curious about, how did you prepare each day mm -hmm. for going into a place that might have been dangerous? Mm -hmm. And, and what do you say to each other, mm -hmm. and do you prepare? Mm -hmm. Well, my first order of business every day is to pray to God mm -hmm. to protect us. Yes. And that's the first thing I did that morning that he left. Mm -hmm. I saw him walk through, uh, going out in his uniform. I was still in bed because he was serving a warrant earlier that morning at 6. And I said a prayer to God then to please protect him uh, through that warrant. And he protected him through that warrant. Mm -hmm. It was the evening warrant that went badly. Mm -hmm. But that's my first order of business. And then, of course, we all, as officers, we all know the danger that's involved with this job. Mm -hmm. Every, it doesn't matter what type of phone uh, of call it yes. is, of whether it's domestic violence or robbery, or even just. In, any call can turn volatile in a minute, so you have to approach each call that you go on as if it was dangerous, but yes. you have to keep everything balanced and in perspective. So mm -hmm. it's not an easy way, uh, it's not an easy career to have because you're on edge and you have to use all the tools that the department has taught you. Mm -hmm. So I think all of us go out and answer each of the calls that are assigned to us with that expectation that it could go badly. And, mm -hmm. and I hope a lot of officers are, are doing what I did, and that was praying. Yes. And so that uh, really, that's the first order of business. But one other thing I'd like to say is my husband uh, and I had talks about uh, being possibly killed in the line of duty. He was a very proactive uh, as far as making sure all things were in order at our mm -hmm. home. Every bill was paid on time. We didn't miss mm -hmm. a payment. And we would have uh, uh, meetings twice a year about what if he got killed. And he used to tell me, he goes, he truly said this. He said, Mama, I'm going to I'm gonna die in, uh, before you do. And if we do, if when it happens, I want you to be strong. He goes, and I'm going to go over each bill with you, and I'm going to tell you what needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And I would say, Honey, please don't say that. I can't live without you. Don't say that. Mm -hmm. And he goes, don't be silly. Don't be silly. Mm -hmm. We need to go over this. And we would. We would go over each thing twice a year, every bill. And so he, it was like he he almost knew, but at the same time, I tried to tell him then. It was hard for me to hear him say those words. But I, he said, of course you can go on. I said, you know, I won't be able to go on without you. And he said, well, of course you'll uh, you can go on. And I just remember that fondly because he he just knew. It's like he almost knew uh, about. Yeah, there sounds like there was a premonition of some sort. Right. But actually to have that kind of discipline yes, to go through your bills and order of business mm -hmm. twice a year yes. is unheard of. We did it. Because there are people who have lived together, been married for years and years, who have not had the conversation, or they have it in very casual ways, which is why people are left in confusion. Right. Because they don't know what's going on or um, things are not in order. Yeah. So um, that that's a note to anyone listening. 
Uh, it's okay to talk about it. In fact, it is important to talk about it, yeah. to have a conversation about what your business is, your state of affairs, what uh, insurance is there, what yes. household items are there, what needs to be paid and handled, uh, so that both parties who are adults need to know what's going on in a relationship. So I applaud that. That's mm-hmm. that's really so atypical yes. of what I hear. I, I do counseling with lots of people. And um, that's sometimes something that gets in the way when there's a relationship, especially if two people come together who have had separate lives right. and are adults when they get together. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, I do it my way and you do it your way. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily meet in the middle to say well this is our system that's going to work for us so i i think just that bit of information (laughs) is worth a book how to sit down (laughs) and sit with your partner your mate and be clear Mm -hmm. and clean with it Mm -hmm. so thank you for sharing that you're welcome now i'd like to um step into another territory that we're going to only get the tip of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you, you told me about something that you're writing that you're going to, we're going to explore a little bit more in a, another interview. Yes. But I was intrigued to look at a conversation about the faces of murder. Yes, Exactly. And I, when I looked at it, um, I, I think I share it with you, actually. Mm-hmm. It brought back an experience that I had many years ago. But what we're going to talk about, why don't you share with them uh, some early, just, just a little tidbit about what you're writing on. Okay. Well, I'll give them a little bit, but it's actually a treatment called Mm -hmm. The Two Sides of Homicide. Mm -hmm. Um, I understand that there is, uh, when when you lose a loved one through violent crime, that there is pain and loss on both sides, Mm -hmm. not just the the family, the the survivors, but also on the perpetrator's side of the family. Uh, When that perpetrator gets placed in the prison system, that mother, that family, that family Mm -hmm. structure has lost also. So uh, I would like to explore uh, and have our listening audience to see what it feels like to walk in in our shoes Mm -hmm. after the trial and testimony is over sometimes we still have questions that are unanswered Mm -hmm. uh there that that won't allow us to fully move forward that keeps some of us in uh, still grieving so i would like to explore both sides of homicide from the victim's point of view and the struggles that they are uh, still going through or even the ones that are successful and have passed through that we want to learn from that Mm -hmm. and then on the perpetrator's side I would like to know what struggles their family has ensued since the loss of their son being incarcerated and if there's anything that we can do to help them. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, I'd like to have a panel of experts that will help us, whether it be uh, grief counselors, uh, 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 
therapists, mm-hmm. anything that can help us move forward. And we, the final step in this treatment that I'm uh, preparing is the, after we've taken a look at both the, the victim and the perpetrator side of the family, the last step I would like to do is go to the prison and ask the murderer, the perpetrator, the convicted felon, not in an accusatory way, but I would like to show him the effects that he has had on mm-hmm. not only his family, but the family of which uh, the, yes. the victim. And I want to ask him, why did you do it? Mm-hmm. Why do you see yes. what happened? There, there are, uh, I, I applaud that work, and mm-hmm. um, I have worked with people who are doing reconciliation work mm-hmm. where that conversation is brought up to uh, understand that it is a cycle and whatever you do affects someone else. It doesn't matter in the smallest way. There is an effect and impact on someone else's life. And the whole uh, array, there's a whole gamut of family and children Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. parents and everything who are affected by that. Uh, I mentioned that when I read uh, a piece of your writing, it reminded me and took me back to 1997. Mm-hmm. I was attending a graduate program, doctoral program in uh, Oakland. Mm-hmm. And I remember it so well because there was a explosion on the news that Bill Cosby's son was killed. Right. Now, I lived in Northern California, and I wasn't familiar with Southern California so much, except having come on little trips here and there. But it was a very, very painful memory where this young man who came from so much was found shot. Mm -hmm. And I believe that they attributed it to being a um, drug-related crime. And the reason it stood out for me is because I knew the grief mm-hmm. that the family was going through. Yes. I also saw the outpouring of sympathy to Bill and Camille Cosby uh, for them having to endure what was mm-hmm. going on and to the other children. But I also, for some reason, it, in, a, in a place of my own meditative time, I started thinking about the young men who have been killed in our inner cities Mm -hmm. because I was in Oakland Mm -hmm. and I think I had seen something on page five about somebody being beat up or Mm -hmm. shot. And I said, it's so interesting that this child is the son of somebody else's mother and father. Mm -hmm. And they get no news. They get no yeah. sympathy. Mm-mm. They don't get the 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 outpouring of affection mm-hmm. that has that came from around the world that mm-hmm. um, at that time that Cosby received. Mm-hmm. And I th- it just opened my heart to all these young people who mm-hmm. have been put in jail, mm-hmm. who have been uh, not only incarcerated or hospitalized. Mm-hmm. or killed mm-hmm. as a result of of their criminal behavior. Mm-hmm. But I realize 
I had just been looking at the lens of their criminality mm-hmm. and not looking through the lens of this being someone's the child, child, someone's child. Mm-hmm. And something in that time just made me stop and say, you must look at this differently. You must be open to to seeing that families are are in pain on both ends. There's a mother crying on both sides. There's a father in shock on both sides. And it doesn't matter whether they pull the gun or whether they are the ones who were killed by the gun. Two lives have changed Mm -hmm. and everybody around them. So um, it's a powerful conversation and something that I know we want to get into a little bit more, the conversation about forgiveness, reconciliation, how we can go back in the communities to help young people understand that they're a part of the community. They're not separate. And uh, I know I've also done rites of passage programs that help young people understand that they are essential and a piece of the community. And I believe a lot of things going on right now, including um, the protests that are going on about immigration, about health rights, about women's rights, are all supportive of young people waking up to their own power. So I'm, I just so much appreciate what you brought to this conversation, the life that you have lived as a model, as a role model. And I want to continue to have other, have young ladies see who you can become. You can be a fashionista and also be a humanitarian in the work that you're doing in the world. Yes, exactly. So we're going to... Uh, in this piece and invite you back. I know there are people who have sent us little notes who said they so much appreciate the conversation. So I I continue to do a shout out to all of those who are listening around the world. We have listeners who are in South Africa, in Ghana. We have people in southern parts of the country, in Texas, in Florida, Mississippi, in New York, and all around the world. And I know that what is happening in your life affects our lives. So I appreciate you listening to the Larry Yates is is show. And before we close, I always ask our guests and Larry does also to do a closing thought. So Lieutenant Regina King Smith, I'm sorry, can Mm -hmm. you please give us A closing thought. I want everyone to understand that when you lose a loved one, there's extreme pain and loss uh, on both sides, not just on one side. And long after you've uh, moved on, that person is still suffering. Please try to find ways to stay supportive of those people. Don't forget about them because you don't know until you walk a mile in someone's shoes mm-hmm. uh, how they're uh, moving through their lives without their loved one. Yes. Thank you so much. And my closing thought is in recognition of International Women's Day, which was yesterday, and Women's Month, which is the month of March, which we're celebrating and um And I believe that what we say every week 
that Larry says is, a nation can rise no higher than it elevates its women. And I always add, a nation can rise no higher than it elevates its women and its youth. So my salute to the women of the world, my salute to the women who are raising the children of this world, and my salute to the women who are the peacemakers, Mm -hmm. the caregivers, the lovers, the mothers, and who hold our world together. So thank you all for listening. This has been a great show. Peace out. And we'll see you next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.